0: Today on SKU Food Talks, we're fortunate to have Peter McLaughlin with us. One of the biggest challenges that we see facing suppliers in the food industry is to really understand retailers and really get what they're looking for. So it's fantastic today that we've got some real world expertise to help us with that. And uh, and I know a little bit about Peter's career and I can tell you that he's he's sat on both sides of the desk. So Peter I want to welcome you to skew food talks and and we try to use our podcast to share lots of industry insights and and help suppliers really grow their bottom line so welcome to skew food talks thanks Peter uh, great to be here thanks for having me oh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your career in the food industry
1: yeah yeah my career you know really was focused around uh, one company uh, I spent you know, almost all my career with Loblaws, uh, the retailer and, 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 in the retail and the wholesale business, I guess one thing I credit my, my heritage or my family for is I'm a fourth generation food guy in my family. And my great grandfather came uh, to Canada, to set up a produce stand. And, mm. uh, I always feel very at home in the food business. I'm, and, and I feel very fortunate to, to, to live there. And like you said, in the last, uh, uh, a couple of years of my career, I got to, to work on the supplier side, at, you know, l- leading a cookie company um, owned by the Weston family in the U.S. Uh, that was a leading private label manufacturer of cookies. It was a great experience to see the other side. I only wish I had done it maybe 10 years earlier <laughs> and I'd probably uh, be a better retailer. It's interesting, isn't it? How
0: when you get that different perspective, how you say, wow, I, I might have done things a little differently.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think just understanding manufacturing at a deep level and having, you know, the P&L responsibility for, a, you know, a, a company that is, you know, probably approaching half a billion dollars uh, was really eye opening for me. Mm. So I could have probably been a much better retailer, would have asked better questions than probably been. Uh, a better partner Mm. for CPG companies or consumer packaged goods companies around Canada and around
0: the world, I guess. Mm. Well, maybe now is an opportunity to take that learning and help the people who do work with CPG companies and suppliers in the industry so that they can, you know, impart some of that knowledge and and take that, to their meetings with retailers because uh, it's true. You do see a different perspective and uh, I'm sure that there's lots of people in our uh, SKU food community who would agree with you that retailers need to get more of a perspective on, on how challenging it is to to really try to either produce or process a food product and, and get it to the shelf safely and, and with a little bit of profit in there for both of you too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Consistently and, and safely is, is always one of the more challenging things, you know, I certainly grew an appreciation for that, you know, when I ran, uh, when I ran interbake and as a retailer, I think I just probably took it for granted um, and just assumed that that all would just happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I asked for, you know, an extra five trailer loads of whatever, I just assumed that that would just be sitting there waiting for me and, uh, and arrive at our docks, Mm -hmm. you know, the next day. And, you know, you know, I think uh, as I said, you know, I would have been a a better retailer, you know, had I had that experience, but I'm super glad that I've been able to sort of see the manufacturing side. I think as you and I've chatted about part of me coming home and, you know, growing up in Prince Edward Island and being an East Coaster, uh, you know, I cheer for the East Coast companies and Mm -hmm. I want them to succeed. And I want, you know, CPG companies to succeed, uh, package goods companies to succeed in Atlantic Canada. And so, you know, it's great to be uh,
0: in a partnership with, uh, with you and your company. Mm. Oh, well, we're uh, really looking forward to Peter joining us at CART 2018 in September. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But all the different roles that you had, Peter, I know you started as a category manager and you worked as a director of merchandising. You ran a merchandising business unit. You ran some emerging business at LaVla and then your role with Interbank. What was the, what was the role you liked the best?
1: You know, but, you know, what I would start, I always answer this question by, I think I loved every job I had. You know, I think in my 23 years at Loblaws, I had about 12 different jobs, <laughs> um, you know, maybe about close to 20 different bosses over that over that career. Uh, and I think I loved every job. I think if I had to pick one, um, it would probably be, you know, as I ran the emerging business division at Loblaws, you know, I had a lot of responsibility, but I had an amazing team of, of business leaders that were senior themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and we were able to make, I felt we made a lot of progress in a relatively short period of time meeting consumers needs across, uh, you know, a big, big swath of categories and businesses. Mm-hmm. I think in that business unit, we you know we were running distributors Uh, we we were running kind of some micro businesses like the optical business for Loblaws, believe it or not. (laughs) We were running big business units. You know, the gas business was a, you know, a billion, a billion and a half dollar business. Wholesale clubs was a billion, billion and a half. All told, I think we're in the seven, eight billion range, (laughs) but I felt, you know, as a general manager, I could lead these companies and take the strategy where we wanted it to go and we were making good progress almost on every front. And that was the exciting part to see them all kind of come together and learn from each other. Uh, you know, TNT was part of that. and mm-hmm. That's an exciting business in itself. You know, it, it, some of your customers may not know, but you know, it's Canada's leading East Asian grocer. And it's the, the best East Asian grocer outside of China, as we like to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a real, it was a really cool company along with Fortino's. Some of your listeners will know Fortino's that's run by uh, Vince Gornanke, who was part of the founding fam, one of the part of the founding families. And he has a passion for great food. And oh, yeah. He's just an amazing operator. Mm-hmm. So I was just really lucky to work with great people in that role. And, uh, you know, I probably
0: cherish that one the most. Mm-hmm. Great, great. And I would agree. I mean, if, if you haven't had the opportunity to get to a TNT store, it's mm-hmm. definitely worth the visit and, and really walking this store and, and seeing how committed they are to satisfying that, consumer as yeah. opposed to putting in you know 48 feet of pop and chips and ice cream it's really committed to that consumer and uh, and Fortinos obviously a great fresh retailer and uh, set the gold standard in a lot of ways yeah so.
1: yeah i'm super proud of that those new fortinos models i don't pretend to take the credit for it but i think they're some of the best grocery stores in the world mm-hmm. and i did get to travel around the world and see a lot of grocery stores and i know i'm a bit biased but that new <laughs> fortinos model was Uh, second to none and uh, the founder of TNT worked uh, worked with me and she was an amazing lady super focused laser focused on her consumer Mm. and 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 really really good um, at at what they
0: do Mm. so over your time in the industry you know you're you're not maybe you're a little older than I am I don't know Um, how do you see that things have changed what do you see as being some of the, the biggest changes
1: yeah, I mean uh, I think about this in a, in a couple of different ways Peter. I think the consumer continues to evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe back when I started it was maybe a little more value centricity, you know, was was kind of the driving force uh behind that consumer, you know, today's trends are, you know, it's an aging population more interested in health. So that consumer to me that the health trend is is kind of here to stay. Uh, the interest in food has increased a lot from mm-hmm. when I started you know the idea of of foods of the world and experiencing food as a as an experience versus a necessary thing to do to eat has kind of evolved and that's exciting in a lot of a lot of different ways i think as a retailer uh, you know amazon was was a river when i started and now it's you know uh soon to be the world's largest company and um you know i think channel blurring you know you didn't have home depot wanting to sell uh you know truckloads of water back when i was younger and walmart didn't really exist when i started as a grocer and you know you think about walmart you think about amazon the club channel has grown to you know in some markets a real meaningful big player that didn't exist and the blurring you know you have shoppers Drug marts setting up as as urban uh, almost grocers in some cases you know that's been a big big evolution i think i think also retailers the you know, there's there's been some consolidation. The big ones have started to under, understand the consumer at a deeper level, and and some of their behaviors. Um, you know, and I guess uh, I think the final point would be the world just continues to get smaller. Right? Mm-hmm. People now travel more, and they go to, uh, you know, they go to Japan and they try the sushi, and they come back, you know, with a hunger for for really good food and trying to meet that demand is tough but also a big opportunity
0: Mm -hmm. yeah oh some great insights and uh, I think those are the kind of things that people really need to to focus on in their business as a supplier and not just keep producing what you used to produce and and see how it's changing because it is Um, one of the things for me when I've always looked at at this food industry is that suppliers in the industry really have to satisfy two masters they have to satisfy the consumer but then they've also got to Uh, really satisfy their customer who issues the purchase order to them, the retailer. So is that similar with how you would look at the industry that they really got to focus on two masters?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the way I, uh, the way I think about it is similar to what you articulated, Peter. If you don't have a compelling offer for the consumer, the chances of success with the customer being the retailer um, is almost zero. Mm. So if you don't have a, compelling value prop I call it value proposition for the consumer no matter what the retailer does it's not going to not going to succeed mm-hmm. so so the key is to start you know with understanding that consumer at a at a very detailed level and how they're thinking and what they really want and then where does your product fit and what how does it differentiate and what role does it play in the category and then you can be successful with the customer being the retailer or the wholesaler Because you do have, you're answering the bell for the consumer, if you know Mm that, you know. I mean, you're an Mm -hmm. expert at it, you know, and you've kind of articulated that through some of your programs. And I think it's it's exactly the way I would have thought about it at Interbank. If I don't have a compelling offer for the consumer, and that's the word we'd use, uh, then I I can't succeed with the customer.
0: Right. No, that's... uh... Um, it's always so interesting to get people's perspective on this business because it's a complicated industry and I think sometimes we overcomplicate it yeah. too. Um, there's a lot of moving parts, but when it comes right down to it, you have two masters. And so for the next little segment, I just wanted to focus on the customer part of it. Yeah. Um, so do you believe that that suppliers in, in the industry can really understand their customer? Yeah, I think it's possible, Peter, but it's, it's a, it's a complex exercise,
1: you know, particularly for the larger customers. Um, you know, I recently went on a sales
0: call to Loblaws and <laughs> despite spending- That's a little ironic. Yeah. like going back to Loblaws on a sales call. how do you like waiting in the vendor lobby?
1: <laughs> I thought it was really interesting, <laughs> yeah. you know, to see old friends and, um, you know, but I, as I said to, uh, I was there with a broker and he had a steep learning curve during the meeting, you know, he, we were learning a lot about, uh, about the, the category. But what I said is, you know, I went into the meeting knowing a lot about the business, but I also took away four or five nuggets that we, you know, needed to understand even deeper. So that goes to show you, you spend over two decades with a retailer, but you can still learn a lot in a meeting, a vendor meeting. I think the key is to keep good notes Mm. and just be meticulous about them, constantly reviewing them because as you know, retailers are constantly evolving and shifting. So to keep up with that, to keep the pace you really got to stay uh, stay on top of you know those uh, evolutions those changes and if you don't you can quickly lose touch
0: mm-hmm. I agree and do you see that 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 relationship and, and really understanding the retailer on the level that you're talking about that it does have a direct correlation with results?
1: Yeah, absolutely I think I don't know that you know there's maybe some CPG companies that can see could succeed rather without you know that particular uh, vantage point. But in my own experience, it was, you have to understand where your retailer wants to go. What do they stand for? Where do they want to, you know, where do they want their assortment to go? How do they, you know, how do they price themselves within the market? You know, are they a discounter? Are they a conventional player? Are they an Inspire type store, which is, was more of a, a you know, a food centric store. Um, but I, I don't know that you can succeed particularly with the large retailers to really understand where they want to go.
0: Mm, Yeah. I would agree. Um, So if you were a supplier and where would you start trying to understand them? How do you, how do you you crack that nut?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, with everything, there's a lot of research and a lot of data online. Uh, And that's maybe if you, if you're completely kind of um, kind of starting from scratch, you start Mm -hmm. there and you kind of start with, you know, who is the retailer and what is the ownership like and what has been their history and what banners do they operate? And and then, you know, what is their strategy? Oftentimes retailers will articulate their strategy, you know, in different documents. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, gathering all that, that sometimes takes many hours and days and a commitment. But if you don't understand where the retailer is going or where they've come from, it's really hard to be a trusted partner with them, and so that's where I would start mm-hmm. and then and then you start peeling back the onion you know at your very first vendor meeting, trying to you know you know get even deeper and understand you know how they're thinking at a, about a particular category even or a department mm-hmm. um, you know I think that's uh, that's
0: probably where I'd start mm. and do you think retailers? give suppliers credit for, for doing that, for building programs or, or coming to them with something that supports their position in the market?
1: I mean, the good retailers can figure that out quickly. If, if the, the supplier the manufacturer or the CPG company have done their homework mm-hmm. and they're coming to them with, you know, some insights and, and a solution to a a category problem, you know, uh, a good savvy buyer will also know when, you know, you might be getting a cookie cutter kind of approach that may not be customized for them. And, you know, my, as a buyer, you know, usually those suppliers that you built that long lasting trust and relationship with that reciprocated was the ones that were willing to treat you in a, in a special way, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And that's usually when you got some some traction.
0: Right. And in the end, cases and and profit for both right which is really what we're after that's what it comes down to yeah absolutely yeah so um and it when you had a vendor who would come in with that one size fits all strategy what was your sort of take on that what what was what was peter mclaughlin thinking when when you knew that you were getting the same deck that they had presented to your competitor a couple weeks before
1: yeah i mean i think I guess the beauty of it is usually, you know, working at in the Loblaws business, you were one of the larger customers, and you'd kind of expect things to be done to to uh, or customized for you so that allow you to differentiate from everything was. So you had an expectation that you'd be able to customize the uh, the offering in some way for for your customers. So, I mean, when I got the cookie cutter, I'd always push back a little and mm-hmm. say, you know, okay, so how am I going to be different? You know, How is this gonna help my category? Um, How's it gonna let me stand out in the marketplace? And I never, you know, oftentimes, you walked out of those meetings, if you were getting the cookie cutter presentation, uh, feeling a little less special, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And sometimes your reaction or your traction out of that meeting might be lessened versus when someone has really customized it to fit your customer, or sorry, your consumer, uh, and your position in the market.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, would your eyes have ever glazed over and you start checking emails in those instances or is well, that extreme?
1: That would be extreme. I, would say. <laughs> I, you know, I was never one that, you know, I always tried to be respectful of vendors and mm-hmm. the time. Um, I'm sure I've been tempted, mm-hmm. but I, I would rarely, rarely ever go mm-hmm.
0: my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to maybe switch gears and think about your time with, uh, with Interbake and did did you ever come across two category managers who were alike
1: yeah it's it's funny peter i think sometimes you can find characteristics that are like you know Mm -hmm. a lot of times a buyer uh, you could sort of pick some characteristics from a buyer who you know sometimes they're pretty good at numerics or they're you know sometimes they're quite decisive and some of the time you know you hope that that's what you're going to get because Mm. I always say the second best answer is is no, um, <laughs> uh, but I think it's kind of like the world, right? Mm-hmm. Is there two bankers that are alike? Is is there two um, two doctors that are like? Probably they're alike. There's some similarities for sure, and uh, but I never found two uh, you know exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And they, and and to your point, you've got to customize your approach to the personality.
0: Yeah. Well, I agree. And, uh, they're all selling food or beverage, but it's, they've all got their own way of doing it. Right. So, um, so one of the, the last question I'm going to ask you, which, you know, to draw on your experience and uh, is one of the questions that we get asked often at SKU food is, is how do I deal with a difficult category manager? Yeah. And And I know it's hard for you and I, who are more on the retail side to, believe that there are difficult category managers, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but maybe if you've got some insights for people that um, that would help them work through that situation.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always start with what you can't do is give up because this is a really difficult, you know, ball to move up the field and then get it over the goal line. If you were to use a sports analogy, you know, so when you have a difficult buyer, you can never give up and you sort of have to go in with that mindset. And then the approach I take is, How do I make that buyer's job easier? Because as a buyer, sometimes you're responsible for thousands of SKUs, hundreds of vendors, and they all want, you know, a piece of your attention, time and attention. And so... As a, as, a, as a supplier, I would try to take the approach, how do I make that person's job easier? Mm-hmm. So can I give them insights into their consumer that are second to none and make them the best, let them stand out in the crowd, you know, and try to build that trusting relationship with them, you know, and show them that I want it to be a win-win, you know, in order for uh, ourselves to succeed as a manufacturer or supplier, I also have to know that the buyer has to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so, it was trying to create that that relationship, and sometimes that's that that can be very difficult. It's one of the more challenging things in the industry. But I, I would also say, if you have the tenacity and the resilience, you can always pretty much break down the barriers and succeed. No matter how tough a buyer is, they will always typically to capitulate to good business and good logic. Mm-hmm. So when you have a compelling consumer offer, you know you know sometimes you'll get stonewalled with one retailer let's say you get stonewalled uh, with a buyer at at, at Sobies or Loblaw's sometimes it's it's actually maybe going to a smaller banner showing them it can succeed for mm-hmm. a smaller business for example maybe a Longo's mm-hmm. showing that hey this can really work sometimes that approach you know when a buyer's not a believer you know quickly when they see their competitor winning with your products mm-hmm. that motivates them mm-hmm. you know, as, as a buyer that used to motivate motivate me when I see my competitor succeeding I'd say well wow, I, I you know I'm falling behind or I'm losing market share um, or my consumers not you know uh, meeting and getting their needs met mm-hmm. and so yeah I think there's there's different approaches but I think the key one is you, you just can't give up because yeah. typically you, you will make progress if you don't don't give up
0: yeah no that's uh sounds good and i think people people definitely have to keep looking at that and and find the little wins and keep going right so um so peter we are so excited to uh, a have you here with us today on skew food talks and even more excited about the time we're going to spend together at cart 2018 because we've just basically scratched the surface today on the level of the kind of conversation that we're going to be able to have about understanding retailers and building alignment with them so uh, at skew food we have our cart process which is really like an sop for selling your products and uh, oftentimes with with food producers and processors we see so much focus on the development and getting it produced and then getting it in the box and then there's really no sop for selling it and that's what we're going to do on september 26th and 27th in halifax and we've got an unbelievable lineup of speakers we've got shelly Belenko from the hartman group who's going to get us started with consumers and really challenge the participants to understand who is really buying their product and why And then we're going to turn the floor over to Peter here, who's going to really take us through a a deep dive on that alignment piece. How do you understand the retailer and how do you develop that relationship with the category manager? So you heard some of it here today, and we're going to talk a lot more about it. And then we're going to have Tony Newman from Innovation Advantage. And Tony will really help you understand how to bring innovation to your retail plan. And we all have the same levers we can pull or arrows in our quiver, whatever analogy you want to use. But what Tony's gonna help you do is understand how to make them stand out from the rest. And then at the end of uh, the second day, we're gonna bring Peter and Shelly and Tony back and we're gonna talk about trust. And that's where um, you can really start to see something effective. And maybe just to wrap it up, Peter, we, trust is something that in this business, it doesn't happen often is my experience, but when it does, it's so powerful.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I can think back to the times, you know, when you had those key suppliers that you'd call on, you know, uh, when you were looking for to solve a category problem or, or looking to sort of take your department or your category in a slightly different way. And it's always, you know, those those suppliers who, you know, are oftentimes flexible to work with you and, you know, kind of meet you in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes is a bit of a game of compromise uh, based on a, on a whole bunch of different uh, variables and, and moving parts. But I mean, I know that, you know, uh, when I, I think back at my career, uh, there's a, a fairly uh, meaty list of people that I really felt were, were trusted business partners and suppliers. And, and I think once you've established that trust, you can probably uh, bank on many years of, of success with some of the, the larger, more challenging retailers across
0: the country and abroad. Mm-hmm so we want you to join us in september 26th and 27th in halifax where you'll learn all of the insights to get to that level of trust that peter refers to here and uh, in the end it leads to cases and it leads to successful results for both you and your customers and and really that's what it's all about so if you'd like any more information you can call me at 902-489-2900 or shoot me an email at peter at skufood.com and I'd be happy to get more information for you and uh, we always want to remind you that it's not about making great products to sell it's about selling the great products you make you've been listening to SKU Food Talks with Peter Chapman and Gary Morton if you have a comment or question about this episode please email podcast at skewfood.com. that's podcast at com. To find out more about how SKU Food can help your food business's bottom line, visit skufood.com. That's s k u food.com.